The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. There's a lot of things that I could say about Steve, but what I want you to know about Steve tonight is that he's just a great friend and a great brother in the gospel, and I know he's got something to say to you tonight as we continue our series on call. Welcome, my friend, Steve Flaxsmith. Well, um, I often get described as surprising. Like, people are surprised that they ended up liking me in the end. And so if you would, if you would just give yourself that, that glimmer of opportunity for tonight, that would be fantastic for me. Hey, um, as Ryan was mentioning, um, you know, the things you can sign up for, I know that there are a number of folks here tonight that, that uh, are high school seniors that are just getting ready to graduate. And if, if you're a high school senior and you're getting ready to graduate, would you just stand up right where you are right now? Just stand up. Come on. Let's give a big hand. Come on. All right, you can sit. Now, I have a ridiculously photographic memory of names and faces, and so I've seen you all. So if you're coming here to school in Seattle next year, we want, we want to see you again. And one of the ways that you can connect that will get mentioned at the fall, but I'll just tell you right now so you can be asking us for it, is you could be in, involved in this great community that we have here, these things called core groups. Anybody here in a core group? Anybody just raise your hand? See, no one at all. Now, there's uh, some of you I know better than others. There's a particular group of guys kind of over here that uh, I lead a, a group of, gra- of guys, freshmen and one sophomore. He's not here, though, so let's talk about him. Um, Alec Forsyth. <laughs> I said, hey, Alec, I'm speaking at the end of the night. He goes, I think I have a pickleball tournament. Great, good, glad we're close. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> At least it was a pickleball tournament, so that's solid. Whatever. Okay. So, uh, anyhow, these guys are awesome. They're my, my buddies from SPU. And I'll tell you what, I've really loved getting to know them and hanging out with them. And, uh, and I can just cannot more highly encourage you, not only if you're graduating, you're heading here or somewhere else, um, to look for, for community, but maybe you've made it all the way through this year here at the end, and you still don't feel like you're just fully in community. As it turns out, we don't just give you the one shot at it. So we would love for you to connect, whether it's in a core group or with, with just to make this group a little bit smaller. Connect with any of the, the folks on staff. Come up, grab myself, say, hey, I'm going to take you up on that, and I, I promise I'll get you connected. But, you know, we're in the midst of this series on calling. I think it's a great series. Um, it's on calling, but I like the little twist to it. The tag is you're called, but it's not about you, which I think is great. So I get to play my part tonight just kind of opening up um, a portion of scripture, John chapter 20, to take a look at that as a jumping off point for this idea of Jesus' call in our life um, and in the life of the individuals that are in that, in that passage. But um, it really is a great privilege for me to share with you this mystery, this secret. I know you all need to know this whole idea of what's coming in the future. What, what is it that, that maybe we can't quite see yet? And so I want, I want to let you know that tonight I'm absolutely here for you. I'm here to definitively answer the question about your future that everyone wants to know, needs to know, really. Who will Emily pick on The Bachelorette? I mean, that's just... That's just... Did, did anybody watch The Bachelorette last night, taped it or whatever? You know, kind of... Okay, now check it out. First of all, let me, let me just explain. 
Before you ask me to, to uh, turn in my man card here, this is not happening, okay? Here's the thing. Dudes, this, uh, ladies, I ain't talking to you right now. Fellas, if you do not already know this, ladies like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. They're kind of into it. So it's better than a rom-com because um, you can watch it with them, and they're glad that you're there. And it is funnier than any movie you could go to, okay? And, and, and I, I kid you not, like my wife likes to watch it. It's, I have uh, three boys. My oldest son is here tonight. I won't embarrass him, make him stand up again, but he's going to be a freshman here at the University of Washington next year. So that's all right. so. Which means I'm officially banned from the end. It was nice seeing you guys, though. So anyhow, um, but um, we watch it together, and luckily my wife tends to fall asleep whenever she's near a couch. And so, because... We, we, we get in, we get, she works really hard, and then she meets her, she wakes up at the end, she goes, crap, I missed it again. And we're like, it's probably for the best, because we rip the show apart. And it is so easy, and, and sure, now listen, fellas, you're going you're gonna to go home and watch it all on Comcast now. You can just, you know, it's on Xfinity, whatever. So you can get all caught up. But there's not that much to get caught up, because if you like comedy, sure, The Bachelor is fine. But the problem with The Bachelor is it's a bunch of ladies, right? And if you like, no offense, gals, mean, go for it. But nothing really tops the bachelorette when it comes to sheer comedy. Because dudes are, they're idiots. And they just, they say and do the dumbest things. Okay, just think in your mind right now, your top five ladies, your top five goofy bachelorette candidates that you've had on there, right? I mean, there's just so many to choose from. Like, first of all, there's Brad. Like, the first time he was a bachelor, he picked no one, right? <laughs> Um, I just, uh, yeah, whatever, just, uh, I'm going to be serious here for a moment. This is my life. You know, he was an idiot. Okay. So they let him come back again, which just made sense for me because this is all about TV ratings and it was good. And so we ripped him. That was good. But all time favorite for me is Casey. Anybody remember Casey? Okay. Fellas, I'm catching you up here. Just tell me, would you pick a guy for a friend that gets like a tattoo all over the front of his arm that, that like nothing against tats, but like he had to explain it to everyone because it didn't make any sense. And here's how he explained it. He goes, it shows that I'm here to guard and protect your heart, Allie. Or Vienna, if Allie won't have me, whatever. I mean, like the dude would just, just ridiculous. Then, then, then there was the guy that had, that he wore a mask the entire time. Because women love a man with a little sense of mystery, don't they? He's just, he wore a mask. He, he never took the mask off until she sent him back and it was like, okay, dude, get over yourself. Then, there was a guy, Ben, he was on. Now he was, he did have the embarrassing bit where he proposed to someone. And she didn't do him the decency of telling him that she wasn't choosing him, so she let him get down on one knee. He fully proposed, and then she went, uh, oh, uh, and he's like, oh, awkward. <laughs> so nicely, they let him come back, which was good. And he thought maybe he was likable, and then he turned into just as much of a tool as the rest of the guys. I mean, he, he's sitting there, and he's like, um, I don't know what it is about Courtney. Um, I think she's a great person. Um, that and the fact that we went skinny dipping early on, that was good too. Uh, but that, that really had no effect on me. Yeah, yeah, that's good too. I think this season holds a little bit of promise. There was a guy that showed up last night dressed up like a grandma. Uh, so that was sad. He did go home. So I was a little bit sad about that because it's about the comedy for me. Um, and a guy who landed in a helicopter was good. So anyhow, it, I, I think you join with me to kind of go, that's not the real world. We, we, we need, we need, you know what we need? 
We need a bachelor or bachelorette kind of candidate, somebody who's got some character, sure, still a sense of spunk and adventure, somebody that maybe even loves Jesus but isn't afraid to get out there and mingle amongst the ladies. You know what I'm talking about? And I think I've got just our candidate. Ladies and gentlemen, the next bachelor of 2012, Mr. Brian Petermeyer. I mean, I mean, allow me, allow me to mention this. First of all, first of all, he's not afraid. Look, that, 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 he's got, you know, business in the front, sort of. Definitely party in the back. I mean, he's ready for it. Take, Garrett, slip to the next slide there. He's kind of go, look at that. I mean, it just says, like, if he was representing Seattle, you would go, go Seattle. That'd be awesome. So it'd be good. And then, uh, and look at that. That is just, he's a man of intrigue, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what I want to do. Now, I'm sure Brian will thank me for this later. But what say, Brian, who works with me here with Young Life College, was an intern here. We all know him and love him. Let's start a write-in campaign for Brian Petermeyer for the next bachelor. Who's with me? Who's with me? You can thank me later, Brian. That'll be great. So, hey, um, honestly, though, um, I do love this series, the idea of, of what we really want to know in our future. What has God called us towards? And oftentimes, as been mentioned in the series, uh, people think of it in terms of specific things. Who's the person that God's called me towards? What job is God calling me to? We don't want to miss the thing that God has called us to. But that, that tagline is so important because it's not about you. And I guess my title for tonight would be, it's not about you except when it is. Because it's about the one who does the calling. But when Jesus calls us, it changes everything. Absolutely everything. And that's what I want to go into tonight a little bit. Um, I want to get into this idea of how to respond to Jesus, the risen Lord, who calls you. Because that's what we get to experience as we go through John chapter 20, Jesus in the resurrection. When Jesus, the risen Lord, calls you, what does that mean for your life? Certainly for the lives of those who interacted with him historically that we'll talk about tonight, but also for your life tonight. I think it gets right at the heart of this whole living out our faith thing. Our faith in response to God, following Jesus, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what God is calling us to. I don't know the specifics about who you get to share that with or where you get to live that out, but I know that God's calling each one of us to that kind of a life. I've long said that when anyone in the scriptures, because in Young Life I get this chance to talk about the Jesus story so much. I spent 23 years on Young Life staff, and for a long time if you asked my kids, what, do I, what, what does your dad do? They would say, he tells people about Jesus. And I, it's my favorite description of my job. I don't want to be a professional or anything, but I'll tell people about Jesus. And I've always thought that when you look, when you really look in the Gospels, every single person who had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they left changed. It doesn't mean that they all decided to follow him, follow Jesus. Some of them didn't. But whether it was a leper, a religious leader, the man with a shriveled hand, the woman with a broken heart, and maybe a little bit of a checkered past, they were never the same. They were changed. As we take a look together in John chapter 20, I think we'll really find that those who had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, not only are they changed, but they find themselves compelled to begin to tell a story that has changed the world. We call it the good news. Will you pray with me? God, thanks so much for just the chance to take a look at your word and the things that you have for us in it. 
particularly as they relate to our future. Here we've got high school seniors getting ready to go off to whatever is next, school or work, the military. We've got college seniors that are getting ready to head to whatever's next. And though when we were little, all we wanted to do was be big. Now, on the, the edge of that, it seems a little bit scary, the unknown. But if you'll walk with us into the unknown and make things known to us in your time, we'll walk with you. Be with us, open up your word, and the things that are of you, I just pray that they stick, and the stuff that's of me can just drift away. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me start with this statement, and I'll end with this statement as well. And that way, if I get rambling too long, you can just raise your hand. Don't do it like really early. And then I'll go to the end statement, and we'll be done. Here's the statement that, that I'll unpack a little bit as we go through John chapter, chapter 20. The one who calls you loves you. The one who calls you wants to free you from your past. The one who calls you believes in you. The one who calls you remains with you and in you with resurrection power. And Jesus, the one who calls you, actually knows your name. Does the scripture support that? I think it does. Let's take a look. We've got a couple slides here. I'm going to read through um, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. So the first portion of it, you can look along there. If you've got your Bible, you can take a look. This is from the version of the Bible translated by Eugene Peterson called The Message. So let me just read it to you. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Breathlessly panting, they took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first. There's a little bit of bachelor-esque stuff, sometimes even in the scripture here. Let me just point out that, first of all, the one who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved is the one who's writing these words to you. So that's kind of cool. And as it turns out, he's really fast, too. So that's good, too. He got there outrunning Peter. Stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him and entered the tomb. So John is loved and beloved by Jesus and is very fast, but he's a chicken. Peter is willing to step into the tomb. He observed the linen cloths lying there. The kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who'd gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting in there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had laid. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go and find my brothers and tell them. I ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went, telling the news to the disciples. I saw the master, 
And she told them everything that he said to her. This passage has calling written all over it. Jesus has a call in here for Peter, a specific call for John. He's got a call and a word of comfort for Mary. And I think unless you really want to close your ears, he's got a call for you as well. Three things that jump out to me that I think we can apply to our own life, and that's what I'll share with you tonight. There's more than that, of course, in here. But the first thing is this. In this passage, Jesus' call confirms the resurrection, that it actually took place. None of the rest of this conversation, none of the rest of the book of John, none of the rest of the New Testament would make any sense or would even have been written unless Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And here's where we see firsthand that it happened. Now, this isn't a talk about proofs of the resurrection, but if it were, um, I would point out that though the disciples didn't understand it or maybe sometimes want to believe it, Jesus had talked about his death and that on the third day he would indeed rise again. The religious authorities who wanted to stamp out all this talk of Jesus as Messiah, they knew it. They absolutely knew it. It's one of the reasons that they want him put, put to death. They went to Pilate, they'd asked for and were given a guard, which is just a group of soldiers, to stand outside the tomb. A tomb that had a stone that were told by all the different authors that it was more than, uh, more than the size that just one person could move. So a few people would have to move this big rock in front of this tomb where Jesus laid down, and though he's not completely prepared for burial, because the Sabbath was coming on as, as, he, as he did die, which is why Mary went there, to be there after. The only thing that could drag Mary away because she was with Jesus right to the end, was the oncoming Sabbath. She went, but she came back. She was there early in the morning while it was still dark on the first day of the week. So anyhow, he's somewhat wrapped up in the tomb, rock in front of it. Then they say, if you don't give us a guard and put your seal of authority on it, then Jesus' disciples, who, by the way, all of them, the guy parts at least, other than John, had run away. They were afraid. They were afraid to even admit that they knew Jesus. But these were the people that the religious authorities were worried about would steal his body and then they would, they would hide his body and then they would concoct the story that Jesus was risen from the dead. There's some serious flaws to that thinking. But they said this and so if you don't do this, we'll have more trouble than we already have. So Pilate said, sure, you can go ahead and do that. It's not the talk about the proofs of the resurrection, but even if it were, I would point out the fact that nobody ever produced a body. You can go visit where Elvis is buried, but like you can't find where Jesus is buried. That seems weird and odd to me. Somebody could make a buck. Nobody produced the body. Even though there were people saying that he was resurrected, all that would have had to happen would somebody go, hey, over here, dead guy, right here. And it would be done and gone. Now, there were other options that they came up with. One was this, that they said, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He was only mostly dead. This is true. And this is purported as truth. That essentially, that though he received a beating that would kill most men, and it was placed upon the cross where he hung, and, and, and you die of, like, essentially asphyxiation on the cross. And that the Roman guard who's at the bottom, who is an expert executioner, who's seen more than one person die this way, said that he was indeed dead, says that thrust his spear through his side and blood and water poured out, that somehow they missed it this time and took Jesus down and wrapped him up and put him, and in the cool of the tomb, somewhat like a cold water drowning, he resuscitated. Then maybe somehow he kicked off the little, you know, mummy outfit, rolled the rock away, did the ninja deal on the guards outside there, (laughs) 
then presented himself in some fashion believable enough to his followers that they would say, Hey, he's risen from the dead. Yes, this is going to be awesome. Except they were all scattered and afraid. And except if that had happened, if he'd really pulled that off, like he's, he's legitimately God, I'm, for, I'm sure of that. But the only other option was that they were saying that maybe Jesus, that they had stolen his body and then they were pretending that. But what did they have to gain? It doesn't make any sense because all of them, and Chris talked about this last week, all of them except for John, we we believe, went to violent deaths because they wouldn't stop telling people that Jesus has risen from the dead and you and I can have life that's different than the life that we had before. And if it was a lie, it was a lie that they made up. And why would all of them stick to the lie? None of them would quit with the lie. They had nothing to gain. It doesn't make any sense unless Jesus was really alive. In Luke 24, Luke records that the same angels in different version of of Mary showing up at the tomb said to her and to the other women that were there, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you he would be beaten, crucified, and rise again. That's good news for you and I. That the call that Jesus gives to all of us in John chapter 20 is this. Don't look for me where you would look for the dead. I'm risen, I'm alive, and you can put your faith and your trust in me. And that's good news. The second thing is that Jesus' call in this chapter creates a new relationship for each and every one of the people that he has a rela- that that he engages with and an offer of new relationship for each and every one of us. Let's just walk through those folks right now. First of all, Peter's call. The call of Jesus to Peter, which again can be applied applied to all of us is this, that Jesus can make sense of our past and he can make sure that our past does not define our future. Have you ever feel like you've made promises to God and then you broke them? You backed out on them? You really meant to do well this time? You were sure that that, whatever that, that one bad sin, whatever it is that you're going to be done and over with was really gone and then it wasn't gone and then you just feel horrible about yourself. You don't have to raise your hand, but I bet you nearly every one of us has felt like we somehow let God down. A couple weeks ago, Janie was talking and she, she, said this, and I, I meant to ask her if it was directly from her, which I fully believe, because she's the quotable Janie Stewart. She said this, failure is never fatal, it's directional. I love that. I really loved it. I remember listening to her thing. Failure isn't fatal, it's directional. It moves us from one way to maybe something else. But I'll tell you what, in my little Bible, between pages 993 and 1001, I'm betting that Peter's failure to Jesus felt fatal at the time because he was sure that the things that he had done to let Jesus down had changed everything for him and he never would have a chance to make up for what he had done but the good news is this God is not surprised by your shortcomings God is never surprised by your failures God's not surprised with your brokenness and best news is this it doesn't disqualify you A case can be made that the only thing that qualifies you for a relationship with Jesus Christ is your willingness to admit that you have brokenness. You're not disqualified from anything in your past, even the past that happened between last night and today. None of it disqualifies you. 
I did say, though, that for Peter, it must have felt that way a little bit because on page 993, again, of my Bible, you'll have to find it in your own. Um, he says to Jesus, even if everyone else leaves you, I never will. Eh, that's a fail. OK, then he says, Jesus says to him, actually, you're going to deny that you even knew me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Peter's like, no way, not going to happen. <clears throat> fail again, did happen. And then he ran away after the last, but he, he didn't even see Jesus' death. He wasn't there. He ran away afraid that maybe they were coming for him next. What must it have been like then for him when Mary of Magdala came running? And she was friends with all these guys. She was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. She stayed at the cross. Now, the women who did stay at the cross, I would like to say, hey, the women didn't run, which is good. The, uh, uh, history tells us that a little bit that they, they probably stood less likely to be arrested and, and taken away um, for being a follower of Jesus. But they were there. She was there. But when she went into the tomb or when she went in there and saw that Jesus was gone, she ran to her friends. What was it like for Peter to have his friend Mary show up at his door and say this? They've taken the Lord, and we don't know where they put him. And that's why Peter and John got in a foot race. Because the possibility was that the final word had not been written on Peter's relationship with the God of the universe. So he ran. The account of Jesus resurrected doesn't end in verse 20. He appears to all the scared disciples later then, and then again when they're out fishing. He reinstates Peter. The impact of Jesus' forgiveness and belief in Peter changed him. On page 1001 in my Bible, Acts chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, if you're playing along at home. After healing the crippled beggar. So Peter and John are out. And they're walking along somewhere. And this guy says, hey, can we have some money? We're like, oh, we don't have any money. You know, the guy's like, great. He goes, but what we do have, we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, boom, be healed. I mean, they didn't do it like all hocus pocusy like that. But it was effective nonetheless. That's the way they should have done it. Um, It says this. After healing the crippled beggar, they begin to talk to people and essentially say this. Why do you look at us weird like we did this somehow out of our own power or godliness? God did it. God healed him to glorify Jesus. And then he uses that to segue in. Can I tell you who Jesus is? And he gives another one of his sermons. And it says at the end that over 5,000, and they just counted the men. So there were more than that. Over 5,000 men, 7, 10,000, 15,000. I don't know how many people became new believers at that time. So, now they do have a big problem. The religious leaders, they grab Peter and John and they throw them in jail and they're they're like, but here's a problem. Everybody's liking them. What are we going to do with these guys? So here's what they decide. This always works really well with people who are passionate because they've seen a guy who was dead who's now alive again and they're not afraid of dying anymore, right? They say, hey, you better quit telling people about Jesus or something bad's going to happen to you. So, (laughs) Peter and John reply, In Acts chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 says this. You judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. And that was the life that that Peter had. So different from the one that he thought he was stuck in. You're not stuck in your past. You're not stuck in your today. Jesus has power over life and death. Which means... We can live differently. We certainly don't have to be afraid of dying. I think what's better news is we don't have to be afraid of really living. Chasing after passionately the things that God's given you. 
Your, our past doesn't determine our future possibilities because God always gets the final word. John's call from Jesus turned him from questioning into full belief. Now, again, John was a great follower, and it turns out, as we're told here, that he's super fast um, and that he was really loved by Jesus. And that used to really bother me. I used to look at that and kind of go, who gets to say they're, they're the disciple whom Jesus loved? And then I heard a sermon this one time from one of my favorite pa- pastors uh, down in Tucson, and he was like, you know what? Here's John, and he had all this stuff that he could have said and done, and he sort of built this incredible life, and he wrote these things, and he had people that were looking to him. And he was a brash guy. He was a fisherman. He was a dude that kind of got after it. But by the end of his life, and that's where he really kind of was able to write these things down, he's able to say, look, if you really want to describe me, just look for the guy that Jesus loved. It's not about me. It's about him. And then it didn't bother me so much anymore whenever I read that. I thought, I also would like to be known as the guy who Jesus loved. Because it's true. Put that on my tombstone. I'm good with that. That'll be okay. I don't actually want tombstone. Thanks, so. <laughs> That's another subject. <laughs> so, here's John. Let me just wrap up with John. I'll give you Mary as well. John, John is this guy, and he was in the process of figuring out what it means to really believe in Jesus. We know that earlier on that um, he was with Jesus, writing down these things, and he, and he said that Jesus spoke of his death, what it would look like, and many people kind of walked away. They were... They were scared about it. And he turned to Peter and John were in this group. And Jesus said, do you want to leave also? And Simon Peter answered for both of them when he said, where are we supposed to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Earlier again, John was a part of a group that had it a little bit wrong. That said to Jesus, what good work do we have to do to get in on this work of God? Like it was up to them with what they could do. And Jesus said, the work of God is this. Believe. Believe in the one whom he has sent. And he only mostly believed then. But then after walking into the tomb, as you read the scripture there, it says, the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. Not because just of the things that he saw, but because all of the life that he lived with Jesus, that all of a sudden clicked right here. Oh. It's just as he said. Everything can be different. And I love that if you're like me and you're honest, that you believe, but you maybe have a little area of unbelief every now and again. Like you step in fully on one side of your life. I'm in with Jesus. And this can happen, especially at college. On the other side of your life, you could say, maybe I'll hedge my bet and see how the world works too. I'm really into Jesus, but I'm down for a party too. That's going to be good. And that's okay. I'm not just saying that it's about behavior, but what I'm saying is we find ourselves sometimes mostly believing. And we're a little bit kind of torn in different directions. What we really want, again, it's not about behavior, but what we really want is something that's worth throwing all of our weight in on, saying, this is where I'm going to plant my hope. That's the Jesus that we want to know, the Jesus that then John got to know there. How about Mary? Mary's call is amazing to me um, and a little bit shocking because of what I thought I knew about Mary. There's some stories that kind of get wrapped up that have a lot of um, things that just aren't true about Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, which is the town that she's from. They probably just didn't 
refer to people quite in the same way, but I could see why she, they would call her by her town or where she was from because one thing that's confusing about Mary Magdalene is there were a lot of Marys in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. There were three of them hanging out right there kind of during that time. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. There was Mary, the wife of some dude, Clopas or something like that. It's a nice name. Look it up. No one ever names their kid that, but anyhow. Um, which is why I can't remember it. Cut me some slack. Um, and then there's this Mary Magdala. There was Mary who was the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And some of the accounts are similar in similar places in the scripture. And so people have thrown some stuff onto her. And so for a while, the church, the universal church kind of thought of her as this woman who had been a prostitute. And again, it doesn't matter what your background is. Who cares? Jesus liked everybody. He was with them. But we shouldn't make up something that's not true about somebody's background. And so they said that here was this woman who'd had this horrible life, and so she was really grateful to Jesus. Well, what we do know is that Luke tells us that the first time that Mary of Magdala came on the scene, that Jesus healed her of seven demons that were inside her. Okay, so now what's a demon? I don't know. Um, it could either be something scary sent by the devil. We know that evil exists. We know that Satan exists. Jesus believed in Satan, so we know this is true. But what does it really mean in our language? Some say that they were physical or maybe mental infirmaries. But here's the bottom line. Seven things! That were broken. And Jesus healed them all. And you know what? She was really grateful. And she was really loyal. And we're told that she and a bunch of other women. Women of means. Women who got stuff done. They were providing for the other disciples. As Jesus was carrying on his ministry. She was a true follower. A disciple of Jesus. And she loved Jesus. And her life was centered around him. And what he'd done. So she was at the tomb that day. Heartbroken. I wonder if she was around. I don't know if she'd gotten involved in the movement yet. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, when he said this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, I don't know if she was around or not, but what must it have been like when the God of the universe himself spoke her name and brought great comfort? If you go back to that slide, Garrett, on the second slide there, um, with Mary's interaction with Jesus. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb, and then there were the, there were the angels, and they say to her, Woman, why do you weep? And it's really interesting because she's really focused because nearly everywhere else in the Scripture, wherever angels show up, people get really freaked out. The first thing an angel always has to say is, Don't be afraid, because they're really scary looking. So they're sitting there, but she's focused on the one that she's really missing. Why do you weep? They took my master. Then Jesus speaks to her, but she doesn't even recognize his voice. She's so focused. Why are you weeping? The same thing. Woman, why are you weeping? What are you looking for? She thinks he's the gardener. Hey, if you took him, just show me where he is and I'll get him. Like she could just carry this dead body out. But she's saying, I'm just not going to, I'm not, I love him. I, I, I'm not just going to leave him. But when she snapped out of it, it was when Jesus called her by what? Her name. Mary. She turned to face him. The God of the universe, who's conquered death and given us the opportunity of life, first revealed himself risen to a woman. A woman who'd given up everything to follow after him. A woman who had a good reputation, but later on her reputation got ruined. I don't know why that happened. A woman who, if you really look at it, though in that day, 
wasn't very valued in society. And even in the early church, let's be honest, women weren't all that valued. And let's be honest, sometimes today, they're not given the positions of equality or thought of as equal in the church. Maybe we've got it wrong along the way, but Jesus got it right. He looked at her as a friend. He spoke to her as a daughter. He used her name and said, Mary, I've got something for you to do that's really significant. How about you'd be the first person to ever share the good news? Will you go tell the guys who are chicken and hiding behind the door that I've risen and life can be different? And then they went together and changed the world because they kept telling a story that somehow made its way down to you and me. And that's the final thing I'd just like to close with is this. The call of Jesus in John chapter 20 confirms the resurrection. It calls us to relationship. And finally this, it calls for a response. You can't just leave it there, can you? It's too incredible, too amazing. We can't look at it as just, well, that's great for Mary and John and Peter because it's made its way all the way down to us. We're confronted with the risen Jesus If Jesus isn't real, if he didn't really raise from the dead, then quit playing church or just pretending that Christianity has anything for any one of us. Paul said this, if Christ did not raise from the dead, we should be pitied more than anyone else on this planet for putting any belief in him. But if he did, then everything can be different. Instead of just kind of believing, we can really believe and it will change our lives. What Jesus did calls for a response. The desired response is, spoiler alert, belief. The reason that we know this is John finishes up this chapter. And I think I have that on a slide, Garrett. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this. It's kind of known as the mission purpose statement of John's gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and more than that, that by believing, you would have life in Jesus' name. I would like me some of that life. I don't want to go around living the kind of life. I don't want to go around settling for what I can come up with on my own or what any other false religious leader can give. The one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and then proved it, and says, I can have life in his name, thank you, I will have some of that. How about you? You know, I think it's about that time, so I'll end with this. The one who calls us clearly in John chapter 20, the one who calls you loves you. The one who calls you has freed you from your past and believes in you. The one who calls you remains with you, lives in you with resurrection power. And this Jesus who calls you and me, he calls us by name. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the chance to be here tonight and to open up your word and to be amazed by your word, to be challenged by your word. More than anything, God, I'm just thankful that it's true, that the story that started there, people can push it to the side if they want, but it keeps bubbling up because it's amazing that you ran to us, God, because there's no way we could ever run to you. You've made the way for us. You've confirmed it through your resurrection. You offer us relationship. And all you want is our belief. And tonight, with whatever we have, a few of us, hopefully all of us, give you at least that. We believe. In Jesus' name, amen.